for his word and the singing of his praises. John's gospel is a beautiful uh, and rich gospel filled with so much detail and intimate information about uh, Jesus, especially the events during Holy Week. And tonight's readings are no different. Now we get to hear some of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. And for it is this passage that we have named this day, as Chad already mentioned, Maundy Thursday. Monday means commandment in Latin. And we remember tonight a special command which we've already read in part, what Christ calls a new commandment for his people. So Jesus has gathered his disciples for his last meal with them. These last few moments, a time when they will celebrate what we know as the Jewish Passover meal. But now, in their very midst, the Passover lamb himself has come. And he reconstitutes this Passover meal as what we know today as the Lord's Supper. All the imagery that was pointing towards this moment and the lamb has come, this supper will now be transferred to something we remember back on, a work that has been accomplished for all time, instead of looking forward to something that will be accomplished. And in this meal, Jesus has just revealed that Judas was going to betray him, one of his own. And Judas has now left the room, and as John does, we're given intimate detail as what to happens as what happens next. So let's look in John 13, 31 through 35. It says this. When he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is God's word. And church, I'll be honest with you, I've been meditating on this passage constantly in preparation for our time together uh, tonight. And to be honest with you, at first I found it so beautiful it is indeed a, a beautiful vision for the church and for the future of Christianity, right? A place of profound and compelling love for one another. However, as I further meditated and even as I continued to read this same chapter, I began to feel a burden. And I want to ask you the question, how are we to love one another? as Jesus has loved us. How are we to do this? 
And Jesus illustrates what type of love he's meaning right here before this account. We read it earlier. He kneels down before his disciples and he washes their feet. The Lord of the universe kneeling before creatures and washing their feet. This is the type of love that he's talking about, self-abasing love, a, a love of radical patience, humility, and service. How do we do this? How can we love one another this way? After all, this is what Mondi is about, right? This commandment, this new commandment, how he, how he worked it, to love each other just like Jesus so that the world will recognize us as his in the way we love. And church, over the past few weeks, I'll be honest with you, as I, as I reflect on those who have hurt me personally or who have wounded a friend of mine, as I think of those in the church who maybe cause problems or are difficult, I know y'all don't have that in, in your church, in any church, as I think of those that I'm nothing like or who I don't understand, I can't help but ponder, how do I love them? And how can I expect others to love me when I do these exact same things to those around me? How do we have this love? If you keep reading, I think it's clear that the disciples, especially Peter, were inspired by Jesus and his love in this moment. We know this because Peter speaks, and he usually is speaking on behalf of the disciples. And he speaks with such confidence in verses 36 through 38. He says, Simon, Pe Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus has been talking about leaving. And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You see, Peter himself won't even keep this commandment for the next few hours. And we see later in Peter's own example, his own story, that he came to a time in his life where he showed partiality in the church, favoring Jews over Gentiles, and he had to be confronted by Paul. You remember the story. And Peter, the leader of the apostles, the one who spoke at Pentecost, he would not keep this own commandment perfectly in his life. And I gotta be honest with you, church, I, I identify with Peter. I do. So I ask you tonight, how are you doing in your faith journey towards Christ's commandment? Christ's prayers? Are you loving one another well? Are you loving those around you well? Emmanuel, are you loving one another well? Are we loving our, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, our teachers, our brothers, sisters, parents, family, neighbors? 
Are we loving well? Are you kneeling before those around you and taking a towel around your waist and washing their feet? So if we stop there, I believe some of us would probably go away disheartened and burdened, kind of like me. Or perhaps some of us would take this moral challenge, right? Those of us that are type A determined and we might assume that the guilt of falling short would be enough to motivate us to change. Maybe do a little better next time at loving those around us. Well, I I do believe before we go any further that this command is one we should strive to keep. And I do believe it is possible in a church though not perfectly, until Christ's return. So I don't want to offer you tonight guilt or shame or discouragement as a motivator. I believe the key to understanding this command is where it always is. It's in the story itself, the gospel recorded for us in sacred scripture. We've already read part of it. You see, there's a key phrase that John uses to kind of undergird and overshadow everything that he's gonna say, everything that's going on in this entire chapter and in the next few scenes of Holy Week. And it's recorded for us. And you might have missed it earlier. I want you to see this, John 13, one, the way he starts the chapter. John's going to tell us what he's about to illustrate with imagery. And this is what he says. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, what does it say? He loved them to the end. These images we're giving is illustrating Jesus loving his people to the very end. He's telling us a story of how Jesus Christ spent his last few hours and seconds and minutes on this earth before the cross and he spent it loving who? His own right up to the very end. So I got a question for you. Who do you know that uses their last meal as an opportunity to get down on their knees and serve others? You see, I've actually had the beautiful and terrible burden of preparing a last meal for someone. And usually those moments are completely about the person who's about to pass away. You wanna comfort them. You wanna give them what they need, what they want. You wanna share these moments and savor these moments with them. But Jesus, Jesus uses his last moments to serve his people. You see, Jesus is leaving. He's going to die, church. He's going back to the Father where the disciples cannot follow at the moment. And even in these last minutes, he is still worried about his disciples and not himself. He goes on to pray the high priestly prayer. He intercedes for them in his dying breaths. He's worried about them. And did you know in that prayer, he doesn't just pray for them. He prays for you 
and for me. All that would believe in him in the future. He took time in his last minutes to intercede for us, church. John has a a lot to say. We can't read it all in its entirety tonight. But one section that moves me greatly is John 14. Those first few verses, he's describing going away to prepare a place. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas says this, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus looked at Thomas and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, church, Jesus is the way. Not just Jesus' words, not just his good deeds, example only, not even the scriptures in isolation from him. Not church, not morality, not willpower, not guilt or shame or works of righteousness. Jesus himself is the Savior. He is the way. You see, our ability to reach God is only through the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And when thinking about our ability to love our fellow brothers and sisters, our neighbors as ourselves, we would be wrong to start that thought like I did. You see, I started looking and meditating on who? On me. I started thinking about me, how easily I'm hurt, how easily I am offended, weakened, or angered. I started focusing on others and meditating on the the impossibility of them getting along when they're so different or immature or whatever, fill in the gap. It just seems so against all odds for human beings, even Christians, to love themselves one another as Christ has loved them. The love that Jesus commands us to have here is never church and has never been founded on us. It's never been founded in us. We don't love one another because one another is worthy of the love. Does that make sense? We don't love one another because it's reciprocated. Because sometimes it will not be. No, we love because he first loved us. In Jesus, God himself, God himself has knelt before us and washed our feet. He has made us clean with his very own blood. Can he possibly in any way further or greater illustrate his love for you? Is there anything more he could do? And if Christ has loved you that way, if Christ has loved us and pursued us with his spirit, has won us over, redeemed us, justified us, then nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. 
in heaven or on earth. And now, because of that love, we are free to love those around us, even our enemies, because you can't imagine how secure you are if God himself has died for you. That is love. And church, this is why we come to this table. We need a fresh and powerful reminder the gospel of the good news of what Christ has done on our our behalf of this love here right here in this meal we are given the wonderful gift of a sign and a seal of our faith think about that instead of just telling the Israelites that they would be passed over which he could have done by the way he gave them what he gave them a meal he gave them a meal and in that meal they would see with their eyes the lamb and they would taste with their mouths that they had to consume this lamb and they would take its literal blood and put it on the doorpost was there anything magic in the blood itself that made God pass over the sins of the Israelites No, it was a sign, it was a seal, an outward promise, a gracious and kind act, by the way. And that's what we have right here in this supper, church. We come to this table as a meal that our Lord has prepared for us. And on this table, we have a sign and a seal of our faith, of that love. So what? What that does is when you touch this bread, when you taste the bread, when you break it, as real and true, actually more and more you do, Christ's body has been broken on your behalf. Hear the splash of the cup, when you taste the fruit of the vine, more this is the reality that his blood has been spilled on your behalf.